fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in a popular film franchise, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are continuing our X23 miniseries about Fox's X-Men films. We will fully spoil today's film, but try at all costs not to spoil any future entries in the series. Up right now, it's The Wolverine. Woo! Is yeah. your slogan fresh out the oven and then you call yourself Cinema Bums instead of Buns? Yeah, Cinema Buns was taken twice <laughs> over. So we're Cinema Bums, like we're kind of lazy, but also we're Cinnamon Buns. Okay, cool. I dig it. Yeah, it, there's a lot of layers to it, just like there would be in a Cinnamon Bun. <laughs> Who is this mysterious voice I hear? Ooh, it's a cinnamon bun. What? <laughs> All right. I'm Today. hopefully getting a 3D printer for Christmas. Whoa. Oh, yeah. really? Wow. Yeah. Are you gonna, yeah. How much do those cost? $8 billion? Are you going to print out some Bitcoin with it? Yeah, I'm going to print out so many illegal monies and then try and sell them dude we went to this um antique store the other day and they had old money but like there was straight up like a 20 dollar bill that just said 75 dollars on it (laughs) (laughs) so that's the american dream oh man when we um when we had a yard sale for like as we were moving out um we were selling these gold like quarter cases that just had like five quarters in each of them and people would walk uh-huh. up to us and be like how much i'm like 125 <laughs> <laughs> and like i'm pretty sure one guy was like i'll give you 25 something like damn like, that's the I'm real not, american dream i'm not gonna use them quintuplets investment right there with us you might have thought it was one of the ghosts of the christmas past present or future uh-huh. or you might have thought that it was a an actual cinnamon bun. <laughs> oh, okay. I love it when I'm in house. <laughs> Today we're honored to have a special guest. He's a comedian, actor, painter, and Danny Brown impersonator, best known to our audience for his starring role as the titular Great Hulking Beast in Hayao Miyazaki's 1988 classic, My Neighbor Totoro. Please welcome Isaac Beckner. Bruh, that's straight up me. Thanks for being here, Isaac. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy to be here. It's lovely. You guys are great. Thanks so much for having me on. I love your show. Isaac, let's just get right into it. What was your first experience with the X-Men in general? Oh, my first experience with Um, Mm X-Men. I watched the... uh, Back in like elementary school, I would like watch in passing the like uh, Toon Disney one that eventually went to like Jetix or whatever. But uh, yeah, that X Men show, the that thing. So that's my history of it. Oh shoot! I also played the X Men like beat 'em up game at this like local arcade growing up, and that was fun. Didn't know oh, anything about the that. characters though. Was it is like a like a Street Fighter or something like that? Uh, kind of, sorta. Um, basically, you just like play as like Wolverine or Nightcrawler or Jean Grey, and you just like walk around the screen and beat up guys that look like Magneto. Okay. Well, what was your? Uh, oh, did you watch any of the other movies of the? Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've seen uh, 
pretty much all of them except for like uh, Days oh, of Future wow. Past, I think. So what was your first experience with this particular um, the Wolverine 2013 James Mangle the Wolverine what was your first experience with it today was my first experience with it yeah have you it seen was, any uh, of the other Wolverine movies I saw X-Men Origins Wolverine and then so is this the does this take place in the universe of first class oh um, yeah. kind of we're gonna get into that but maybe we should just get into it wait this does takes it take place, place after the original trilogy okay so it's X1 through three not yes this one takes place after x3 okay so where patrick stewart is still professor x yes because he pops up at the end okay okay cool cool so this so 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 today was your first experience huh yes okay we can get into a little bit more of how you felt about your first experience of it but wade uh would you first tell us a little bit about your first experience with this film oh yeah my first experience um was actually with you. Mm-hmm. We saw this film together in theaters with my Aunt Maria, who was the f- the first person who got me into X-Men in the first place. The three of us together went and saw it, which was pretty cool. This was actually uh, the movie that got me back into X-Men, I guess, because I had watched X2 a bunch as a kid, and then I had seen X3 once. I didn't watch Origins. I didn't watch First Class. And then when this was out in theaters, I think my Aunt Maria wanted to see it. So I was like, sure. And we all went and saw it together. And what what was your thoughts on it then? I was really excited about it then. I didn't know. They didn't market it at all that it was a sequel to X3. Mm-hmm. Like I assumed it was another prequel like Origins had been. So kind of like the moment, I think it's like 10 minutes into this movie where you realize that it takes place after that. And it's like dealing with the consequence of that was really exciting to me. Well, what was your first experience with it? And then I'll finish that thought. Well, I remember watching it uh, with you and being like, well, this like is this is everything that you could want from a Wolverine movie. Like that it was like as good as it could get, but also that it had like nothing to do with any of the other X-Men. It was felt like the most standalone of all of the movies and like the least to do with any of the other stuff too, Mm. right up until the very end. And I liked that about it at the time. And I also, well, I've, my feelings on it have changed, but we'll talk about that. But at the time I was like, yo, this kicks ass. Like, this is sweet. It's gritty. It's violent. Yeah. I would, I will say that one of my initial thoughts of it was, like even going into it, I was thinking, you know, any movie that you put Wolverine in, uh-huh. it's like he's not like Batman or like Superman. He can't really like hold back in any way. It's kind of like yeah, like he can't not kill somebody if he's going to attack you. So it's like the body yeah. count in Wolverine movies is always just much higher than I feel <laughs> like other superhero movies are. That's, that's a good point. His power is like stabbing you in the chest with knives. <laughs> like that's his superpower. And not just knives, like the hardest metal in the universe. <laughs> Dude, I was thinking how strong must Wolverine be to pick up that silver samurai and throw him down the cliff at the end. Like that thing has to be like 800 billion pounds. Straight up though. Yeah, dude. He's jacked in this. He is. Mm-hmm. He's huge jacked, man. My other thought was that it's like so crazy that they made a sequel to The Last Stand. Like now it makes sense. But like at the time, 
that was something that came out seven years ago that no one had done anything with. And no one has said this is related to like, this would be like if they made a sequel to the Lone Ranger now, damn, Mm. that's how it felt, you know, straight up. Now let's get into some stats and records about this film. Uh, This film was released in 2013. It was directed by James Mangold, who you may remember as also having directed Walk the Line, Three Tin to Yuma, Night and Day, and all of your other dad's favorite movies. All of you daddy's favorite movies. All of the favorite movies of the dads. All movies about Hugh Jackman going to Japan. Yes, all of them. Well, he also uh, directed Hugh Jackman in Kate and Leopold, which was like the first post original X-Men movie that Hugh Jackman did. So there's an old school connection there. Oh. Which I think... I think it's like a time travel rom-com between Hugh Jackman, who is like a Renaissance era gentleman who meets like a hot young lady from the nineties. And it's like a rom-com about them. So it's just a, like a biopic of Hugh Jackman's life. (laughs) Yes. It's a biography, but yeah, this run that Mangled does where he does walk the line, three ten to Yuma night and day, the Wolverine, Logan, Ford v. Ferrari, and his next film is Indiana Jones 5. Oh. Like, I think that he is really put on earth to deliver what dads want. Hmm. Like all of those movies are pitched directly to the dads of the world, but he's just like making them well yeah. for the he- most part. He's also coming back with Mel Gibson's great return in What Dads Want. <laughs> Like other people make movies for dads, like the Monuments Men still exists, but those aren't really the same level of quality that Mangold is going to bring to them. This movie was written by Scott Frank and Mark Bomback. Uh, Scott Frank, who also wrote Minority Report, and Mark Bomback, who has done a ton of stuff. He's a guy who works for sure. Not like a lot of things we would know, but like a guy who does a lot of things, including the recent Planet of the Apes trilogy. Uh, he wrote all of those. Very good. Yeah, they're so good. The music is by Marco Beltrami. Anything there? Uh, who also did? Yeah, he also did 310 to Yuma with oh. Mangold. That's the connection there. He's most known for his scores on horror films and on westerns. Okay. Both of which have some sort of connection to this movie, but aren't quite there. Yeah, didn't he do A Quiet Place? Probably. I think he did a quiet place. Well, the cinematography was by Ross Emery. Yeah, I had to do a lot of looking to figure out who this guy was. This was his first film ever. Whoa. After this, the year after he did I, Frankenstein and The Giver, both of those hits. (laughs) And then he never does another movie. Well, after that one shot in The Giver, I can see why you know the one i'm talking about it was edited by michael mccusker and had a budget of 132 million dollars its box office was 414 million so by our little standard that we've been running on it needed to make about 265 million to pass and it uh it it cleared that and some more so good good job good Good job. job the wolverine yeah, this movie was released July 26, 2013. So this is the first of these that we see that takes place after the Avengers, which is really like the big change for superhero movies post 
the dark knight that's like the first tone style guide where then we got to get all like the serious movies but then after this the avengers makes a billion dollars a billion and a half so then it kind of becomes all about like setting up the connections and paying off like rewarding your audience and seeding things in so i think we see like a little bit of that there and it also becomes about like being true to the audience and making a fun movie which was not in style before ever before not since 1939 this is also where like you have to break a billion dollars to be like a mega hit okay and speaking of movies for 2013 the highest growing yeah. movies of this year what else came out frozen can i guess oh okay uh, i would have guessed wrong so go ahead a little movie called frozen have you heard of it wow. it starred adele gazim and the guy <laughs> from <laughs> from Ewan Colfer's Artemis Fowl movie who can unhinge his jaw. It's a deep I actually movie. haven't heard of it. Is there anything I would know it from? Uh yeah. So Broadway did this thing where they only are doing Disney musicals now. And they did a version of Wait, this. it's a musical? Yeah. So it's just okay. So can you see me a little bit? So I think yeah. if you me a little bit, I would remember. Uh, do you want to build a snowman? Frozen at $1.3 billion. Iron Man 3, $1.2 billion. I still haven't seen that. Me neither. <laughs> Despicable Me 2, The Hobbit, Desolation of Smog. No, what did Despicable wait, wait, wait. Me 2 make? I'm yeah, sorry. you got to listen. If it's over a billion, I'm going to be upset. Uh, it's it's under it's under a billion. Under a billion, I'm not marking it down anymore. It doesn't Good. matter. Good. Uh, <laughs> Despicable Me Too. Uh, the Hobbit, Desolation of Smog. That's also a sequel. The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, also a sequel. Fast and the Furious Six, Monsters University. Woo! That's also the number two sequel. Gravity and Man of Steel. Thor: The Dark World. Also a little. Number two action there. Now to get serious for a second. That's what was grossing. That's what was, you know, the things that were making money. Here's what was uh, winning the critical acclaim that year. 12 Years a Slave winning Best Picture. John Ridley wins for Best Adaptation for 12 Years a Slave. Lupita Nyong'o wins Best Supporting Actress for that film as well. Um, Best Director goes to our boy Alfonso. And... Best actor and best supporting actor go to Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto for Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah. Some um, things age better than others. I have a distinct memory of being in a bank in Scotland around this time. And the teller asked me if I was from America. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, are you Jared Leto? no she was like are you from the southern states and i was like yeah i'm I'm from north carolina and she was like i know all about the south i watched 12 years a slave last night and i was like it's not what i said is uh, it's not really like that now (laughs) i mean not in some places up next we have a little question isaac Mm -hmm. that we like to ask on this podcast it's got to be something of a tradition listeners will be quite familiar with it by now it's uh is it? Oh wait! Oh, I think I know this question. I'm an avid listener. Is it? Listener will be quite familiar with it by now. Is it? What's your favorite episode of Mike Super Short Show? 
It is. So what's it your is. favorite it episode? Is. The Holes episode. The Holes interview's got to be the best with Shia LaBeouf and like the little uh, sister character or whatever. Like tries to rap armpits first. Can Can you give us a taste of it? Hell no. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So a little question we like to ask around here. Sure. What's good? Flop or bop? Was this – what do you think? I don't know, man. It was pretty inconsistent. I think for the most part, it was a bop. I've never heard a more enthusiastic bop in my life. <laughs> it, is, it was more kind of like a – I don't know. Instead of like a loud bop, it was kind of like a – oh, I just hit the laptop. I don't know if you could hear that. Yeah, we heard it. So more, more a boop than a bop? Perhaps. Yeah, it's more of a boop. It like tried. Wade. Flopper Bob. It's pretty hard. I like a lot of things about this movie. There are a lot of things I appreciate about it. I will say for sure the fatigue is setting in. Like for sure, having watched six of these movies, I am like getting really numb to them. And I don't think this is a bad one. It reminds me the most of the first, the original X-Men, mm. um, because I feel like this series at its most middling is kind of like the tropes of the genre patched onto whatever the like fascinations of the time are. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this movie is absolutely as much of its time of 2013 as origins was of 2009 it's just like a better time of filmmaking but this movie is like obsessed with parkour oh my god and, so much parkour uh, and steady cam like i do like this movie but i feel like so much of it falls flat mm. like just watching it i'm kind of like it isn't really singing for me i think i'm going to give it a flop yeah 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 Emmett, uh flop or bop the wolverine wait I got to tell you, James Mangold, favorite daddy director of all time. <laughs> this film flopped harder than the old Silver Ninja dude does off the edge of the cliff oh, at the end. No. Dang. Dude, this movie flops harder than the guy who flies off of the bullet train at several hundred miles an hour and hits a steel beam. I this movie flops harder than the lady who falls several stories and then bounces and gets up and still tries to kill some people. Oh, man. This movie wow. is a... I, I'm I'm over it. Like yeah. I think there's some cool stuff in it, but it does not give you anything that like other movies and other movies in this series have already given you. Like more like more of except for ninja, like the ninja action is exciting. But you're also like there are better there's certainly better martial arts like ninja samurai movies. Mm-hmm. than this movie so you could go watch those if that's like what you liked about this yeah i'm i like i think it's a movie that gets by on like talking seriously and like being the sober serious gritty one you know like before especially before logan came out mm-hmm. but now it's like it's just like oh it's there's no there there yeah you know yeah, I agree. I really liked this movie when it came out and also when I rewatched it in 2016. I think because I really liked the setting and like the action of it, but rewatching it I was like this action is not shot super well. And like, neither- it is really cool and the sequences are so cool and this movie is brutal, which we need to talk about like 
this is a hardcore movie, but there isn't like a ton of substance there. I feel like. Well, I don't think it's like deployed evenly or in a way that like makes the stakes at all clear. There's a lot of like pain. No. There's like a lot of painful stuff, but none of it is like really like in any sort of order. There's also a moment where it feels like the like the resolution of like the entire motivation of the villain was, oh, we want to give Wolverine an honorable death kind of thing at one point. I was just like, wait, is this really the whole point of all of this was just to try and kill Wolverine in like a badass way? Like that's what the villain wanted. It feels like a lot of this movie is kind of a getting at that because there's the whole thing throughout about like the poison arrows Mm -hmm. about like that being like a cheating way to kill someone. And obviously we start with like dropping the nuclear bombs, which was kind of like a, a cheating way to win a war, you know? Mm -hmm. So it feels like there's the nuclear bomb team was a bomb. Oh yeah. Well, especially because Nagasaki was the second one too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like a definitely the one that's like, Kick, kicking someone while they're down. Dirty shot. I don't know. What do you think about opening with that? I feel like now we've had two in a row inter- open with an atrocity from World War II. Yeah. Um, I think visually, like the scale of it was like definitely there. It was very, it was impactful just to see mm-hmm. how much damage Wolverine can actually survive um, and just how desperate the situation was and how it like did kind of create some sort of relationship between Wolverine and Yoshida, but seeing Hugh Jackman be burnt to a crisp and then just like turn back into being Hugh Jackman. Cool. I'm Hugh Jackman. I'm going from being a 10 to like a solid seven and a half back to 10. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The practical effect of him where they've like crusted him up is really cool. Yeah. I think it's really exciting. Like the first shot of this movie when it's like, the foreground and it just starts with like the radio slowly blaring in and then you see the ships coming is so cool i feel like more than anything it's just that that this is like a thing for these series like these movies are about alternate histories they're about the important moments in our past and like what the x-men were doing during them Mm -hmm. so i think like on an individual basis we can talk about whether they feel like they're used appropriately or not. But I do think this is like the thing of this series mm-hmm. and it's going to, it's been here the whole time and it's going to stick around. The first one starts with the Holocaust. So. And the last um, one does yeah. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think that this is like cheap. I actually think that it's in some ways kind of radical that we never hear an American perspective. Like you never hear anyone being like, the Japanese were doing horrible things in this film, which I was thinking about. You only see like the horror of what it is to be the Japanese soldier and like the way that has affected the culture mm-hmm. as time has gone on. Like it's entirely from their perspective. Yeah, that's true. Another hot button issue at work in this movie is the fact that it is reopening the plot. Like we talked about a little bit, it reopens the plot from x-men the last stand it also is the second in the so-called wolverine trilogy uh, which is this movie uh x-men origins wolverine and logan so what do you think about what this movie does for the timeline and for kind of retroactively 
fitting together some stories that end the X-Men original trilogy. Yeah, I guess we're stepping into the continuity corner here. I don't really know how much there is to say about it. It was like a shock when it happened. Mm. And it is pretty cool. Oh, actually, I was thinking about this. Like, how many movies... How many movies in a series do they ever say, like, this one is about dealing with the consequences of another one, which I thought was pretty cool. The only ones I could think of off the top of my head were Iron Man 3 and Quantum of Solace and this one, none of which are, like, considered the high watermarks of the series. But those are the ones I thought of off the top of my head where they were like, we did something crazy in the last one. Instead of moving on to something else crazy, we need a moment to deal with what this character is struggling with. Like the whole movie is about the character getting over what they did in the last movie. So I think that is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Does this film contradict anything we've seen before? It's pretty much all new characters, right? Other than the ghost of Jean Grey, who's haunting Logan. Yeah, it is. It doesn't, I don't think, contradict anything. What is happening? Where do we leave the X-Men at the end of Last Stand? Because that's, at the latest, takes place in 2006. And this takes place in 2011. So it's been at least five years between the two. I believe that we have a Professor X just reincarnated in a new body. And a Magneto just beginning to get his powers back. Yeah, so everyone who lost their who got the cure for their powers has gotten them back. And then it's like storm leading the team, right? Yes, And leading the mansion storm and beast. I guess we don't hear if Wolverine just left them or if that's no longer happening and Wolverine's on his own. Yeah. Cause he was still with them at the end of the last stand. Right. Yeah. He's also always like a protector of children and women and animals. Like in this movie, he goes to bat so many times for like a bear or a child or a young woman also in all the other movies he's like the babysitter Mm -hmm. like he's truly a protector of anything other than a man Mm -hmm. and this is funny because the comics version of this of the like that this was based on opens with him killing a grizzly bear i mean it is it's the same bear that he kills in this in the movie he does end up killing the bear but like Wolverine is tracking the bear down to kill it because the hunters have poisoned it. And it's like on a rampage and killing everybody, which is kind of what happens in this movie. But oh, he more like he more like puts it out of its misery in this film. But in that he like has to track it down and kill it. This is based on a run of comics by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. And they did this. This was the first four um, issues released in the 1980s of the flagship Wolverine comic about a story about when he goes to Japan to see his love. And then things go from bad to worse because her dad, who looked like he was dead, has shown back up in the picture. He like puts Wolverine to this test. There's no talk about this like kryptonite stuff and these bugs crawling on his heart in the comic. Um, It's more just like he gets dishonored by her dad and like she doesn't like she's about to marry this other guy and you know, he's crushed about that. And then Yukio actually comes in as like a femme fatale and like seduces him and does all this crazy stuff and is trying to kill him and is really working for her dad who is evil. So it's a little different, 
It's a little the same. They kind of, they invented a new character for this movie, which is the Viper lady, I think, or at least they took her from somewhere well, else. She's put, a character in the comics, but not, but, I yeah, guess, not, in series. not in this series. They like, p- pulled her in from somewhere else and put her on. There's much less of this stuff about his healing powers. It's more just like a straight up, like almost noir about like, you know, Wolverine becoming a samurai and mm-hmm. like, like regaining his honor by going through all these trials and then like killing the girl's dad and she should be his like mortal enemy. But because she realized that, that her dad was like a dishonor on their house, she like decided that that would be okay. And they end up getting married. So it's like this really wonderful rom-com for Logan. I'm sure that doesn't last very long. I'm sure like some horrible thing happens to her later on in the comics, but that's how that run ends. Hmm. So he actually stays, unlike at the end of this movie, too. Is there anything with him losing the healing power? Not in that. There's a lot... In the comics, there's just a lot more reference to how much it hurts and how much of a badass he is all the time. Hmm. Especially in this. Like, there were so many, like... There's so many, like, long explanation of, like, how badass the guards are and all the kind of weaponry they have and, like, all this shit. And then it says, too bad they met me. Or like some other like one liner like that, <laughs> you know, as he's and then there's just like panel after panel of them getting just like completely wrecked by Wolverine, like all these ninjas. So that's pretty exciting. I have a quote here from James Mangold about the uh, healing thing. He said, if you have a hero who can't be hurt, there's only one way to create stakes, and that's to put people he cares about in harm's way. And not unlike the amnesia thing, that can get tired really fast. I think there's so much to mine in Logan without robbing him of self-knowledge. What I wanted to present to the audience was, what is it like to feel a prisoner in a life you cannot escape? You accumulate pain and loss and keep that with you as you keep on going. Wow. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I think that's cool. I think the lack of the healing stuff is cool. I think Mangled is the first person who has looked at Wolverine and said, what's something I can do with this character? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, truly. Yeah, and I think it's a smart take on it. I think Jackman's pretty good in this. After being pretty bad. He's pretty bad in the last ones, though, which you like never think that Hugh Jackman is bad in anything, but he is pretty bad. I think he's... Not all the way back, but he is pretty good in this. It feels mm-hmm. like there's a part in real life where he's kind of like being Wolverine means bodybuilding. Mm. Like being like if I'm playing the Wolverine again, what that means is I have to only eat eggs for a year. And that's like the only thing I have to do. But that was also a time of acting as well, where like everyone was doing that. Even if it like you have Christian Bale doing like all the crazy shit for Batman and then like getting super like putting on a bunch of weight for uh American hustle and then losing it again for whatever else, you know, that's and just like, Christian Bale's thing. But like, I feel like that was a lot of people's thing at this time was like, Oh, like the guys who did 300 had to eat like 40 chickens a week. And like, <laughs> you know, like had to do 700 push ups every hour and all sorts of shit, you know, that's how they got those gorgeous, gorgeous CGI abs. Okay, lots of crazy action sequences in this movie. What were your favorite action beats, Isaac? I liked the uh, first initial like encounter with the yakuza at the funeral. I thought that was Hell cool. Yeah. Just like a, just a really good chase sequence, and like that's always that's always fun. And then everything else after that 
was just kind of like, all right, we're making Wolverine cut people's face off again. Was it ever clear why the Yakuza were like trying to shoot up her family? So from what I understood, the got her fiance was put up to it by her dad. So no, Oh wait, her fiance, you mean the like businessman guy, the secretary of defense or something like, right. Like he's the guy that literally is in charge of like the police, but he's also in charge of the Yakuza. He's also in charge of partying, baby. (laughs) (laughs) That scene was pretty funny. He would have still died from that level. Oh yeah. Yeah. To like Like hitting the water like that. Yeah. No, he would have. Yeah. And the way he was spinning and stuff out of the window, like he would not yeah. have landed well. No, no, that that dude's spaghetti, man. The train sequence made me upset. I'll, <laughs> I'll go ahead and say that. The train okay, sequence. Okay, well, how do you feel about it? Because it's like it was one of those things where it just shows the inconsistency of his adamantine skeleton. It's like, okay, cool. Can he cut through ceramic sinks like butter, or can he not like tear through an aluminum train, like? With as fast as he was like, like flying through the air, like on top of the train, there's no reason why the hardest metal in the universe wouldn't just cleave that train in two. Mm. Like as fast as he was moving, like inertia or not, it's like no. Could a regular human being be on top of one of those things going 300 miles an hour? Hell no! But apparently, but apparently the Yakuza decided to be Superman, like. And three of them did not just like not just like one or two guys, but like three Yakuza were just like I can survive three hundred mile per hour winds. <laughs> That's kind of in the run where we get like all the Japanese things because we get like the Yakuza, and then they go to the pachinko parlor, and then oh. they go to the bullet train, and then they go to the love hotel, and then they're like out in the out in the village, like by the ocean. So you kind of get, that's where they do like the run of like all the famous Japanese things. I feel like mm-hmm. we are just so you guys know, we are in Japan. Yeah. They did actually shoot it in Japan, which is cool. Yeah. It isn't in like a street in Los Angeles. They made to look like it. It also is actually like all Japanese actors from Japanese cinema. Like almost everyone in this, this is like either the first English language film they do or like, one of the only English language films they do, which is pretty cool. I think that they weren't just like, let's get Henry Golding, like let's get Jet Li, like let's get the American actors who are always playing Asian characters mm-hmm. to come in and fill out this cast. Like yeah. it feels authentic to that culture in a way that a lot of other other movies trying to be all about one culture don't. Mm-hmm. I thought the Japanese stuff was cool. I wonder how many of those Japanese actors were excited about working with both Hugh Jackman and off-brand Margot Robbie. <laughs> she was supposed to be Jessica Biel, and then it like fell through pretty late in the process, and then they got the Russian actress who played her. I mean, I, do you have her name? Uh, not in front of me. It's Svetlana something. I do have her name. Yeah, it's Svetlana Hodchenkova who is also in Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. And these are her only two English language films. But hmm. she's been in like a ton of stuff in Russia. Hmm. And she has, she was like hugely awarded there. But like this, these are her only two English language films. How do we feel about her as Viper? Let's go through the cast then. She had this, she had one of my least favorite villain archetypes where it was, I'm going to have four lines in each scene and say nothing in each of them. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, I'm, I'm going to tell you absolutely nothing about my character, except I'm mm-hmm. the bad guy and there's no reason. Yeah. I also, I also, I was also just over her at her second appearance where she was like, I'm a something, I'm a nihilist, I'm a capitalist, etc. And it's like, what are you talking about? What about at the end when she was like, I'm immune to every poison on earth, including men? Like, stunning. It's, yeah. yeah. Uh, She's also presumably like a one-off villain, which is maybe confusing. But as we've said, I'm always happy to see any villain that isn't William Stryker or Magneto in this series. So I do celebrate that. But she isn't working for anyone. She's just evil because she's evil. And that's why she does all this stuff. Yeah. There's like no motivation other than the fact, well, I'm the bad guy in this movie. So I have to be the bad guy. And her death is brutal. Yeah. So much stuff in this movie is brutal. Drilling into uh, his skeleton. That was pretty. Oh, yeah. Self-inflicted heart surgery thing was just like. God, just, it's just like absurd. Like <laughs> it goes from he's like, I got to find out what's wrong with me. And then he looks, he's like, oh, there's a bug in my heart. You going to want to not turn around for this one. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like also how did I guess it's just the, the super chair was able to pick up on his vitals without like having any kind of like, like anything in him. Any, any sort of anything. Yeah. He's just like, <laughs> yeah, this is definitely wrong with me. I know exactly what to do now. Like, really? In touch your own heart? Yeah. Yeah, that part was pretty crazy. That's where I was like, which came out first, this or Prometheus? I think it was Prometheus. <laughs> See, when I would think back about this movie, I would just remember, like, the sequences. I was like, it's, it's all killer sequences. You've got the funeral and the bullet train and the, like, pregnancy taking out the thing and where he walks through with all the arrows and where he fights the guy. But then, like, watching it, those sequences are all cool. They're just maybe not particularly shot super well yeah. in 2013. And there's not, like, a ton that connects them. The other, I think the other big problem is that, like, everything I love about this movie ended. And then I was like, oh, there's still 40 minutes left in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what else happens? Yeah, for real. What else does happen in this movie? Can, can we step through uh, Mariko and her boyfriends her list here uh yeah mariko has three boyfriends in this movie which is pretty cool yeah um she's got well she's got the lame boyfriend who is like the businessman who the is the other lame boyfriend who's the nice guy <laughs> she's got the cool boyfriend who's like the badass warrior samurai who's also 95 for- years old the black gang, the cool gang. Yeah, he he did look a little too old for her. But then she's also got Hugh Jackman, who's the Canadian boyfriend. Who's also who has 95 to be, years old. Has to be double her age in real life. I know in the character's life, he's like 300 and she's like 20. Yeah. But like in real life, must be at least double. Yeah. She's pretty good, though. Should we talk about the performances? How do we feel about Mariko? Uh, Tayo Okamoto is Mariko. It's her first film. Oh, she's in Westworld now. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, no, she was great. I thought she was good. Yeah, I really liked her. I liked kind of like the dignified character she bought. She reminded me of real people I know who are like, oh, like feel such the pressure at all times of their family and like responsibility. People I know in like small towns who are like leaders of the community Mm -hmm. who like really couldn't make friends, but were always like 
you know, took like two hours to get dressed and wear makeup every morning and like care so much about their presentation. And then it's like really kind of lonely inside under that. I liked her a lot. Yeah. And then you've got, uh, okay. Yeah. Will Young Lee as Harada, who is the samurai boyfriend. How do we feel about him? You mean Not- the, the ninja boyfriend? Yes. The ninja boyfriend. Mr. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mr. I need to enter every single scene with a side flip. Okay. <laughs> Dude, he, is, he spins like four times in a row in one scene. He is doing so much parkour and not a lot else. Like, there's just not much written for him in this movie to do. No. I, I think th- he's pretty charming, though. I think he has a compelling arc, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like a really weird turn at the end that he's working with Viper, even though he knows it's wrong. Yeah. Like, I was very... How did How did that even happen? Because he realized that the old man was in the ninja suit all along. Which was just like, I don't know, how they set that up was just... Because we didn't actually see the character die. We saw uh-huh. him being wheeled away. Then we saw the funeral with the casket. And it's like, we never saw a body. Of course he's going to show up later. But then it's like, the twist. He's inside the suit. I'm like, of course he's inside the suit. Like, yeah. There's a moment where it tried to make you believe that it was just... Like an automaton, but no, he's in a he's a, we're uh, we're in a samurai Gundam right now. It's okay. Also, Yukio, whose power is seeing how people die, comes and says he dies. I didn't see him die. That's like how we learn that he's dead. And it's like if if the first thing we know is that you can see people die and you didn't see him die, mm-hmm. he's probably not dead. Yeah. That's uh, Haruhiko Yamanuchi as Yoshida, the old man. Any thoughts on the old man? I think he was fine. More so in when he was in the hospital bed than when he was trying to actually be a villain. Yeah, he was better as like that sympathetic old guy. Mm-hmm. Kind of creepy, offering him the creepy thing. You know, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But But yeah, when he's the villain... When he's in the samurai suit, he's like, this is the only thing sustaining me. It's like, is it though? Because you didn't really die. Like, they didn't put you in the suit and then you come back to life. Like, you didn't die to begin with. They just said that you did. Also, like, if you were dying and then you put on a metal suit, would that help you live longer? Yeah, there was no explanation as to why it's sustaining him. It's a dirty... Because he didn't... Did he actually steal some of Wolverine's healing power? Or did they just put that thing in to take the healing power away, but no one else was getting it? She just gave him a toxin that was not not even like the Wolverine killer toxin. It was just literally this power... This toxin suppresses mutants, like, genetic, like, abilities and stuff. Oh. How do you figure that out? Well, I mean, that's just what I... That's just what I took away from it because like, okay. she says something like in that encounter with Harada where it's like, oh, they're working together. But Harada also has like 90 other guys working with him that all can do the same thing that he does. Um, yeah. But yeah, she, she's like she mentions like that she was able to suppress suppress him, which she wouldn't know that otherwise if she hadn't tried it before. She wasn't she. Viper hasn't been researching Wolverine for years on end and it's like, oh, this will definitely work at suppressing his power. Surely she would have had to test that on other mutants to begin with. But doesn't someone... Okay, I guess that's Yoshida and not Viper. But Yoshida has the file of like all the history of Wolverine where we see the uh, pictures yeah. of him with the X-Men and like the whole dissertation on him. That's yeah. true. You've also got Hiroyuki Sanada as Shinjen Yoshida. 
the son slash father. He's from The Last Samurai. He's also in Avengers Endgame. He's the guy who, the member of the Yakuza who Hawkeye kills in that strange sequence. And, and I'm very excited about this, he's going to be Scorpion in the big budget Mortal Kombat movie next Ooh. year. Oh, wow. Hell yeah. I'm very excited about that. But how do we feel about him in this? I think I will, I wish he was in it so much more. Straight I up. think, yeah, like he's so, he's so cool. He's <laughs> like intense and you're like, oh shit, there's like, there's subtext when that man talks. Yeah. Like there's some, there's something going on. Yeah, he his, his performance was stellar, but his character was just there was not enough written for him. He, he did he did fantastic with what he was given. Yeah, it feels like they knew that he's like the big actor in the movie because he has kind of like some of the big scenes, you know, and he's treated with like a little more gravitas than the other characters. But yeah, he doesn't he doesn't get a lot. His last fight is so cool. Mm-hmm. Like the him Wolverine fight is maybe the highlight of the movie to me. Mm-hmm. It is so awesome. It's also in this movie, there's kind of like taking one character and splitting him into two different characters from the comic. So Shinjin is just um, the, like her dad is like the main villain in that comic. And maybe mm-hmm. in some later comics, like other relatives of hers come into play but in this one it's just the one guy so the idea of like splitting it into the two the father figure the good cop bad cop thing where it's like my grandfather who i loved versus my dad who we knew the whole time was an asshole turns out your granddad is also trying to kill you there's still one cast member we haven't talked about which i can't believe we've gotten this far because she is my favorite part of this movie it's rila fukushima as yukio oh i i Love this movie because I love Yukio. I'm a card-carrying member of the Yukio fan club. I have been since 2013. I always will be. I think she is the coolest thing about this movie. I think she's so good in it. This is also her first film, her first acting job ever. She was also a model like Mariko. And I love her dynamic with Wolverine. I like the dynamic of like the kind of young girl who also is a badass and then like becomes his sidekick. I love their relationship. I love her behavior in every scene. Mm-hmm. And I think her power is so cool. Like you're a mutant and your only power is that you see how people die. And like the way they use it throughout this movie. Also the end of this movie that it ends with them going off together to like be a team in the future is so exciting to me. Uh, sorry if you guys were about to say you didn't like her. You can still say that. I but like how Yukio. do you guys feel about Yukio? I liked Yukio. The only, like, I think the only character I didn't like in this movie was Viper. Viper feels like she's from like a much schlockier, cheaper action movie yeah then the rest of the movie feels like mm-hmm. yeah that's very true the big criticism of this movie uh from reviewers at the time it was was just that it like bungles the third act that it kind of becomes like schlocky action so mm-hmm. i was trying to find anything i could about like there being reshoots or like arguments over the third act or stuff but i i couldn't find much so yeah. maybe it was always the vision for it to do that and then it just got executed a little bit less well than the rest of it did yeah so everyone loved the wolverine japan miniseries gavin hood before this movie was being planned put in the theatrical post-credit scene of origins where wolverine is drinking at a bar in japan to like hint that we would be going to japan sometime after origins came out in may 2009 they greenlit a sequel it was going to be it 
It was written by Christopher McQuarrie, who you will remember for writing the first one and then denying credit for his name to be attached to it. He, at this point, uh, had just finished writing Valkyrie for Brian Singer, and it was going to be directed... Well, first they asked Brian Singer, as it should be noted, they have on every single movie since X2, which was the last one he directed. Like, in all of them, they first go to Brian Singer and say, will you direct this? And in all of them, he's doing something else or doesn't want to. So uh, they got Darren Aronofsky, who had worked with Jackman previously in The Fountain. I'm going to read through Darren Aronofsky's films and maybe I'll just ask if you guys have seen any of them or if you feel a way about him. His first film was Pi, which I actually do like. And then he did Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain. He was just coming off of The Wrestler when he signed on to make this movie uh, and also working on Black Swan. And then he goes on after that to do Noah and Mother. He's kind of like, he's a very specific auteur. I don't know if people have seen those movies or have any feelings about Aronofsky. He loves pain. They're kind of like, well, Requiem for a Dream is like the most hardcore anti-drug after-school PSA ever. Like it's a movie where like horrible, horrific things happen to characters to tell you not to do drugs. Mother is also a movie where horrible, horrific things happen to characters to tell you not to be a parent. What takes place in the Bible? How the universe was made? About global warming? Yeah, I guess that's also true. And kind of with Noah. Yeah, I guess we don't have any Aronofsky stands in here. He's like generally loved and like thought of as a brilliant auteur. His stuff is never really connected with me. I feel like he's someone who just is like a little bit overblown. I don't know what he would have done with this movie. Yeah. He had worked with Jackman before. McQuarrie wrote the whole thing, finished his draft. But that same month they were supposed to start filming, Aronofsky dropped out. He said, As I talked more about the film with my collaborators at Fox, it became clear that the production of The Wolverine would keep me out of the country for a year. I was not comfortable being away from my family for that length of time. I'm sad that I won't be able to see the project through as it is a terrific script. And I am very much looking forward to working with my friend Hugh Jackman again. Mm. So like a pretty sweet and honest director denial more than the other ones we get in this series. And Fox didn't like rush to fill him right away because of the Tohoku tsunami which also happened at the same time. I don't know if you guys remember this, but the great tsunami Um, of 2011. Yeah, I remember watching like old staticky YouTube clips of it. So they hired Mangold in June, 2011. They hired Mark Bomback to rewrite the script. The filming was delayed because Hugh Jackman was shooting Les Mis. They shot it in fall 2012 in Australia and in Tokyo. Um, So the original cut of this movie was two hours and 35 minutes. It was half an hour longer. I don't know. Did it feel to you guys like it was rushed? Rushed as in like it's pacing or just rushed as in... Yeah, like the pacing. It doesn't feel to me necessarily like a movie that was chopped up to hell. Like it doesn't feel like we're missing plot points. No, I feel like it. I mean, you know, we already mentioned how in the third act, it gets kind of schlocky or whatever, but yeah, I think the third act does kind of rush a little bit, but I don't think the third act problems would be solved by seeing more of the third act. Yeah. There is a like extended edition of this that came on the DVD. It's an unrated version. Ooh. It's 219. So it's like 13 minutes longer. I have seen it once. 
it's just that there's like another fight with the black clan when he gets to the village before like the whole arrow sequence there's like another long fight with them and then like all of the sequences just have like a little more blood or like a few shots that were too intense to make the pg-13 rating Hmm. but there's no like significant plot stuff in that that's different at all yeah the post credit scene for this was written by simon kinberg who is writing the uh the next film we're going to watch days of future past, but it was actually shot by Mangold. Uh, Hmm. Mangold said that this was kind of originally intended to be totally separate, but uh, Brian Singer asked him while he was working on days of future past, like change a couple things to make it work with that continuity, which Mangold did and Mangold himself shot the post credit scene. This movie got a 61 on Metacritic. It was liked at the time for the craftsmanship and the cast. They, Big criticism was the ending, which we already talked about. A lot of the reviews I read compared it favorably to the other movies of the year. We heard a lot of those at the time. But like a shocking amount of the reviews I read were like compared to everything else we've seen this summer. This is like a breath of fresh air, particularly the Lone Ranger. So many Mm. of them mentioned the Lone Ranger. I pulled this review quote particularly for you, Emmett, because Mm -hmm. it was harping on some things that you like perhaps more than than I do. This is from A.A. Dowd at the AV Club. He said, Now here's a comic book movie. In a summer that's delivered one overstuffed Phase 2 sequel and a bloated reboot designed to establish a whole new universe of interconnected franchises, the Wolverine has a self-contained efficiency that's hard to resist. A.O. Scott of the New York Times also wrote, A modest superhero picture may sound like a contradiction, but really, it is a welcome respite. This was modest? I mean, I guess in comparison to, right? Like what, Yeah, this is really modest. Like, the scale of it is that they have to save one girl. Yeah, and if they don't save one girl, she dies, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, compared to all the other movies in this series, like yeah, it's no, yeah, it's not New York City or the end of the world or yeah. In the last stand, they blow up the world. In Origins, they blow up the world. In First Class, they're about to blow up the world. <laughs> like the stakes are so much smaller than the other films we've seen in the series it is a lot more intimate which is cool maybe there are like growing pains because this is the first film in the franchise we've seen where they're like it's not really about moving the whole story forward it's just about telling one story with this specific character this is kind of what the films become from here on out where they're like this is a story with this group of the x-men with this group of wolverine with deadpool you know yeah Mm. Which leads us to a question that we love to ask here and that listeners to the show will be familiar with at this point is, um, who is the protagonist and what do they want? Isaac, who would you say is the protagonist of this film, The Wolverine? The protagonist of this movie is Hugh Jackman. He is the Wolverine. He is the protagonist of this movie because it is named after Hugh Jackman, the Wolverine. And he... He wants. What's funny is he. People keep trying to convince him that he wants to die. Does he ever actually say that? (laughs) We know you want to die. It's like. I mean, yeah, I guess it could. Well, there's kind of like a thing with. 
the ghost of Jean Grey he keeps seeing or whatever, who's like, come with me, like, you just die think, and come live with me. Here's why I hate that. You honestly think someone that's seen as much shit as, uh, as Wolverine that's lived as long as he has believes in any kind of afterlife. Yeah, I think it's also, it's also like not really Jean Grey, obviously, because I think she would be like, deal with your stuff and figure it out. I yeah. don't think she would like, come die and live with me, come baby. Come die with me, baby. <laughs> like, Look at my left breast. <laughs> um, oh, also, man. Jean Grey, I counted, has 27 lines in The Last Stand, her film, and has 22 lines in this movie. And I think she's uh, handled a little better in this one than in that one. She has more lines than Viper. <laughs> that may be true. That may, in fact, be true. So, but, but, but what did but, 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 but what did he want? I think he just wanted to be left alone. Like, he's like, I'm just doing this so I can go back home. And then, like, he just kind of gets wrapped up in it. He's like, I do just want to go home, but I guess I got to help while I'm here. But And then he fooled around. Yeah, and then he fooled around. He's like, "What?" He was like, "Yeah, whatever, cool. I can do this for a minute. I got about another sixty years on me." It's hard because he's not active at all at the beginning. Like you could say, what he wants is to find a reason to live, and it is true that he's kind of like flirting with death, but only in his dreams. Yeah, but we don't see him like being suicidal. We don't see him like looking for a new thing to do. He's just living in a cave. Yeah. And then Yukio comes and finds him and starts the plot. You know, I don't think he actually, he actively wants anything, but people keep telling him what he wants. And it's like, I think at the beginning he wants to be left alone. And at the end, he like finds a new purpose, a new thing to do with his life. Yeah. But I don't know. That's like the arc. I don't know what his actual objective is throughout this movie. Mm -hmm. Maybe rescue America. How do how how do we feel about the treatment of their romance? Too too swift, not not delicate enough, not no. not played out as wonderfully as it could be, but certainly a hell of a lot better than his romance with Kayla. So, you know, there is that. We hear Kayla in this movie too. We hear him yell like Kayla, I love you in one of his dreams, but we don't see her. Imagine if he had woken up and he had the dead ghost of Jean Grey on one side and the dead ghost of Kayla from X-Men Origins on the other side. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I thought their relationship was okay. I don't know how she didn't flinch when he, like, woke up. Also, why did he dream about a samurai like that came to attack him? Like, just a classically dressed samurai? Well, that's supposed to be the silver samurai, right? Because he, right. like, sees that armor at the beginning, too. No, he... But it is, like, when he... When he dreams about Viper, that's really happening. Like, she actually snuck into his room and put a little leech in his stomach. But, like, the silver samurai didn't actually... I guess someone came and kidnapped Mariko. No, that's not that scene. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's like when he wakes up and, like, he has his claws out or whatever, and Mariko's just like, hey, you awake? Perhaps I can lend some some uh, illumination here. In the in the comic, he dreams of himself as a samurai, and he's a samurai in the old times. And nobody loves him because he's not good enough for Mariko. It's she, her name is still Mariko, even even in the old times. Mm-hmm. And so he has to go and fight for many miles through many soldiers in a scene that is described as being much like the scene, uh, like at the end of this movie where he gets shot with a bunch of arrows. And finally, he's dying. He's killed everyone, and he crawls into the into the garden where Mariko is, and he's dying in her arms. And he says, "But why?" And she says, "Because you're an animal." 
so it's it could just be a throwback to the fact that he's can he can never love her. He they can he is never going to be good enough for her. I thought it was handled okay. I think this movie is like going for adult drama, and that's where it feels the most kind of like a romance novel is when they're like off in the cottage. You get like the beauty and the beast scene of her teaching him how to eat soup and they're doing all of that stuff. I think it's handled okay, but it does feel weird just because he's so much older and because she has three other, she has two other boyfriends. Yeah, She goes from three boyfriends to zero boyfriends across this movie. So that's got to be tough. Yeah. Um. How how many people got killed in this movie, Emmett? Let me let me do the final tally. I well, I did keep an accurate count this time around. I just need to total it up. The brutality in this movie is wild. Like we see so many impalings, so many swords going through guts. Which, as we said before, that is just Wolverine's like power. <laughs> yeah, it's just impaling people. This movie, it's either a forty-two or a forty-four. It's hard to read my own chicken scratch there but and this is ones that i definitely for sure saw happen on screen yeah there's probably there might like given the volume of some of the fights in this movie there might even be more that i missed so it's very bloody it's very violent um particular deaths that i would recount as being particularly gruesome or would be viper's death Mm -hmm. for sure she gets clonked going up and going down on the, the elevator thing. That's awful. The dude who gets stuck in the throat and then by Viper and then fights and then gets stuck in the throat also by Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Brutal. Oh, the dude that Viper spat on his face. Yeah. The guy who she, he stabs in the hand at the beginning. He doesn't even die, but that's just nasty, dude. Oh, and yeah. you see him pour alcohol into the guy's like cut up hand. Oh, and if we want to... Uh... Those three guys in the bar did die off screen, according to Yukio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It feels like this movie is going for like dour, morose, gritty adult drama. Like there's the shot of Wolverine at the Love Hotel, like bleeding in the pouring rain on the balcony overlooking the city. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like that's what they were going for. But I think the writing would just need to be a little bit stronger and like more substantial to pull it off because they do pull it off in the action, mm-hmm. which we're talking about. The action is like brutal and hard hitting, but then you're kind of left with that as the main thought about this movie because the other stuff doesn't stand up to the same level. I thought the the veterinarian doing like surgery on Wolverine was cute. I thought mm-hmm. that was a that's a funny little comedy moment. Not convinced that that guy still had his hands after doing that. <laughs> yeah, we, for real. Because she, she said that he, uh, like, in his sleep, he, like, cut him or whatever, like, while he was working on him. And it's like, how he still has his, at least all his fingers. Okay, Wade, you talked about it a little bit with this film's treatment of the women characters. But uh, let's just lay it on the line. Did this film pass the Bechdel test? This film did pass the Bechdel test. Uh, not only did it do that, I actually have an article here. From July 29th, 2013, from Vulture by Kyle Buchanan, it says, The Wolverine is this summer's Bechdel-friendly blockbuster. Hmm. So it was like so notable for its treatment of female characters that there were whole articles about it. This is a long interview with James Mangold. I recommend anyone check it out, but I'm going to read a few sections from it. Uh, this is Kyle Buchanan's writing. As coined by cartoonist Alison Bechdel, a movie passes the Bechdel test if it has at least two women in it who talk to each other about something other than a man. 
It seems like a simple test to ace, and yet it's more than summer movies like The Lone Ranger, Pacific Rim, Star Trek Into Darkness, and Monsters University could manage, which makes last weekend's The Wolverine a rare bright spot. Hmm. Here's a big action movie that passes the Bechdel test early and often with four lead roles for women. It's startling to me because the test is so easy to pass, notes the Wolverine's director, James Mangold, who says of his movies, women, they all have missions. They all have jobs to do other than be the object of affection. Logan is retreating from all intimacy and is grieving for the death of the great woman in his life. So the idea of surrounding him with an incredibly interesting spectrum of strong females, this idea that almost everyone besides him in this film is female, was a real inspiration for this movie, says Mangold. Mm. I love the idea that structurally, this is Logan's eight and a half. It's a very strong tableau of women, women with dark agendas, women with self-destructive agendas, women with protective agendas, dead women, alive women, who each are playing a different role. Continues Mangold, I think the trickiest thing is the idea of likability, which is a very interesting and often used industry parlance about a character. I think that there is sometimes an anxiety on the part of studio executives that a female character has to pass a higher threshold of likability than the men do. Hmm. That, I think, is a reflection of our real world. On the studio side, there is a concern that if too much of your darkness is in your female characters or a kind of mixed agenda, the audience may reject them. It's something that is a double standard in our society still. It's a challenge for people making narratives of any kind to push against. Damn. Which I think is absolutely true. And I think we, in some ways, see a lot of cliches of women and minority characters because people are like, they can't be the bad guy like they can't have a life other Mm. than be perfect if we're going to put them on screen which Mm. does reduce them to less than like regular thinking people i guess that thought that like anyone who's not like a straight white man doesn't have to represent every straight white man but Mm. any character who's not one of those things because of the limited access to them we see on screen is just representing like whatever they are. Hmm. Um, Yeah. I think this movie has the strongest variety of roles for women we've seen yet. Um, The most women in it. I love that about it. I think that they're obviously still like, you know, like it's not perfect. Like Mariko is kind of defined by her relationship to all these different men. She is kidnapped in this Viper is strange. I was going to say like, She's more than an object of desire because, I mean, but she's she's just an object of hatred instead. She doesn't do anything. Like, she's not, Viper's not really objectified in a, like, romantic way, but she's certainly not a character. Hmm. She's a char- She's like a plot object. She's not like, you know what I mean? Yeah, she doesn't have a big arc. And I'm assuming they're counting her as one of the four big roles for women, which I guess is fair. Like, she is the villain, but there's not much there to be played. Yeah. I also was thinking about, like, how little representation on the creative side we see in this whole series from women, hmm. which I think really stinks and just would, like, make some of these movies stand out from each other in any way whatsoever. I think that's part of why First Class felt like such a breath of of fresh air because it was co-written by a woman. I know that none of these films are directed by women. I'm not sure if there are other female writers as we go on. But it's interesting, too, because this whole franchise is run by a woman, is run by Lauren Shula Donner, and that's like one of the only Hollywood franchises 
that doesn't have like one big powerful man behind it. It has one big powerful woman who's like mm. overlooked it and produced all of them from the beginning. And I'm not blaming this on her. I know that's the entire Hollywood culture. But I just wish with how many of these movies they are, we could ever see like some creative force coming from women. Hmm. But I think this film does have really strong women. Almost every side character is a woman. And it also doesn't really have any male gaze issues at all, which is very different for this series. And you've even got Viper in like the really sexy costume and Jean Grey in the nightgown. But it's like in all those, like the center of the shots is their heads not their boobs or like there's no like shot from behind a viper. Like we get of storm and of mystique and all the early X-Men movies, you know, like it feels like they are just wearing sexy clothes because that's a thing that people do not because you need people to pay money to see them like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, good. I'm glad that they finally got something right for one of our last questions before we wrap this whole thing up. We call it the MVP OTW, the uh, most valuable player other than Wolverine in this movie. Yeah, I'd have to give it to Yukio. She's just a cool character. And she, like, she, I mean, she, like Wade said earlier, she is the whole reason that the plot starts. Yukio. Wade. Well, mine was going to be Yukio. I guess I'm going to go with mariko then although i did like harada too but i'm gonna go with mariko i think she's really good in this and i think it's also like remarkable like we said that both her and yukio this is their first acting roles and i think they're the two strongest performances of the movie Mm -hmm. i think that like you totally believe every second that mariko is who she is like she sells that dignity and that position she has And I also think that she sells those romance scenes, which could just be god-awful if they were in lesser hands, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to give it to her. Emmett, who's your MVP OTW? Okay, my MVP OTW is going to be a little dude named Shinjin Yoshida, my friend. Mm. This dude Mm. is not enough of this movie. I think if they ditch the granddad... And like had him actually be dead and actually be a good person. Like Shinji becomes a silver samurai. Like, yeah. Oh, that'd be so much that, cooler. That'd be, that'd be the movie I want to see. Like, and that's like what you want to <laughs> see, right? And like, and then he gets the big dramatic thing at the edge of the cliff, you know? And so it's like, like, I want to see more of him and Mariko's relationship. I want to see him and Mariko and Yukio, like all going at it together like a fight scene between like the three of them where the two have to like come together as sisters to defeat their dad or something like that because wolverine's disabled in whatever way like i i just think like he's so cool uh he's such a good actor Mm -hmm. and yeah he sells it once those two are already taken also <laughs> isaac any final thoughts on the wolverine um i wish we had seen mariko's knife skills oh yeah there's the one shot in the funeral scene i think it's with yukio but where she does like the whole like flip the knife punch someone grab the falling knife which was so cool mm-hmm. oh dude wait any last thoughts on the wolverine yeah i think this movie is a lot better than we've given it credit for and that our tone of voice suggests, like, compared to the rest of the movies in this series, this is definitely, like, high up there. And I think its treatment of women is commendable and stands out from the rest of the series. And I think the way the action is 
like sequenced and choreographed and the creativity of all the sequences both are really commendable. I think it's just like, it doesn't sing, but like this movie is much closer to working than almost all of the other movies we've seen in this series. Mm. I think just at this point, like at this point, both in this series and the rest of the world, we've seen so many superhero movies that you have to like actually be good to stand out. Like, I think probably when this movie came out, if you were like a three or four star functional movie with some interesting things, you could make it as a superhero movie that like people talked about and said was really good. Mm -hmm. And I think now in 2020, you have to be like a five star masterpiece with incredible direction, incredible acting, like unbelievable sequencing and music to stand out from. (laughs) Yeah. To stand out from the rest of them. And I think that they don't do anything interesting enough with Hugh Jackman here. Like, I feel like his character is always just being kind of dragged through whatever the events of the plot are and never really an agent of himself, you know? Where's the the sense of humor in this film? Yeah, you see it in that veterinarian scene. You see it when he goes through the metal detector and he's like hip replacement. That was a good joke, but... You see it in the cutaways to America when she's listening to like soothing music as the fight is happening. Like, there are these little bits that I guarantee almost all of those are like directorial touches, like not there in the script. Mm -hmm. These little moments that stand out from the rest of the pack, but it's so dour all in all. There's also, uh, there was a sense of humor with um, uh, Mariko's rich boyfriend getting thrown out the window. And, you know, we have the line from Yukio saying, how'd you know there's a pool there? And he says, I did not Yeah. He also says, don't you lecture me standing there in your red underwear. Yeah. <laughs> which is pretty funny. Well, which made me think, what kind of underwear do you think Wolverine wears? He is a question for both of you. He's so hairy that he doesn't <laughs> wear underwear. He doesn't wear underwear, please. <laughs> he, he wouldn't wear clothes. It was socially acceptable. So you think he's not insulting the fact that they're red with the fact that he's wearing underwear? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like... He's, Don't you talk to me like that in your underwear. <laughs> it's like, want to take those off and get real in here? <laughs> I don't know, actually, like the fashion history, but he may be from a time before there was underwear. Probably. I don't, I don't think know. Canada... I think he wears tidy whities I still don't think that Canada has underwear. Uh, okay, Emmett, any Yarks final to, thoughts? To your Canadian fans, do you guys ever have underwear? <laughs> yeah, please write us at cinnamonbumspod at gmail.com and tell us if you wear underwear, if you're Canadian. And um, let the record reflect that it was Emmett who said that and not me. Emmett, any <laughs> final thoughts on the Wolverine? Yeah. Um, frankly, I don't think it matters what kind. <laughs> what kind of underwear you wears? <laughs> what? Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Where that was going was no place we wanted to be. So, Isaac, I will simply ask you. Is there anything that you're working on that you would like to plug? Uh, any upcoming projects anywhere that our listeners, our devoted listeners, can hear from you and see more of your work? Um, no, not a devoted listener. I do have a miniatures painting um, Instagram that I'm about to start up again. I've been Woo-hoo. kind of on hiatus for a year now, um, but I've started painting again lately, and I'm getting to a position. I'm getting to a place where I'm like happy with everything that I'm working on again. So I'll probably start 
working on that again. Um, it's follow me at Isaac tries a hobby. Right on. Just all as one word. At Isaac tries a hobby on Instagram. Check mm. out the little painted miniatures. They're yeah. gonna be so cool. All the weird yeah. space aliens and dwarves and all sorts of crazy shit. How did we feel about Wolverine's preferred scenario is the outer space mission? The Love Hotel. Because they were like, doctor's office? I forget what the third one was. Dungeon. It was it was dungeon, doctor's office, or mission to Mars. Well, William Stryker's never attacked him on Mars. <laughs> I was thinking it was like, it was a place, Mars was like a more neutral space rather than a dungeon or a doctor's office because one both imply that someone's going to be dominating in some way. Well, presumably one of them was being the rocket ship and the other person was being the astronaut. But <laughs> All right, well... Then I will leave you all with this. But happy holidays to happy you and holidays. to yours. Happy holidays, everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. And happy Yuletide also. Um, happy Boxing Day to our Canadian listeners. Yes. I care about you even if Emmett doesn't. Wow. I actually celebrate Boxing Day. So Ooh. get with that. Culture. Culture. <laughs> So next week, we'll have our favorite films of 2020 holiday special podcast, um, which will be fun to talk about something topical. And we will be back in the new year with the X-Men Days of Future Past from 2014. See you then. And kiss somebody on New Year's Eve for me. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcast. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes this podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.